Morning Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Douglas Mpuga in Washington. Today is Tuesday, December 27th. Here are some of the stories we are covering this morning. A top official of the Nigerian anti-drug body says the U.S. government has announced a project that will strengthen its forensic and chemical analysis capacity. This amount was to be used in various activities, to be used in the flooding, to be used in the disaster management, to be used in all aspects and agriculture. The South Sudan government says it has secured a $3.7 billion grant from the World Food Programme for Disaster Management and food security for the next two years. The communication of, of the mobilization of the community by the Electoral Commission is not higher. Even politicians, they are focused on their contestation. And in the Democratic Republic of Congo, a civil society group says the 30-day period for the registration of, of prospective voters ahead of next December's general election is not enough to enroll all eligible voters. Those stories and more coming up here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. The South Sudan government says it has secured a $3.7 billion grant from the World Food Program for disaster management and food security for the next two years. Information Minister Michael Makwe told reporters following last Friday's Council of Ministers meeting in Juba, that the funds will be used to control flooding, manage disasters, and support agriculture, among other areas. Some South Sudanese citizens say the government should make good use of the money by using it to boost agriculture and buying food for the flood-affected population. Deng Gai Deng reports from Boer. South Sudan Information Minister Michael McQuay told reporters in Juba after a Friday Council of Ministers meeting that Vice President Nyandeng secured the WAP grant. The, the cabinet listened to a, report, a presentation from Her Excellency Rebecca, Madam Rebecca Nyandeng, the Vice President, on her uh, mission to, to the World Food Program on the country strategic plan 2020-23-2024 and in her uh, deliberations over there and contacts they managed to negotiate uh, for South Sudan a sum of 3.7 billion dollars being an aid or grant to the, the people of the Republic of South Sudan. Makwe says the funds will be used to prevent flooding in the future and improve the living conditions of citizens over the next two years. This amount was to be used in various activities, uh, to be used in the flooding, to be used in the disaster management, to be used in all aspects and agriculture. So uh, all, the ministries, all the ministries were directed to read their report and pick the areas of their concern and they start to develop them in form of projects. Board resident Jacob Nial Adak says the government should use the grant to improve security and invest in agriculture so that the country can produce enough food to feed its own people. Agriculture is the backbone of every country. And even now, as we have seen, uh, the WFP uh, brings uh, food commodities. So where do they get them from? they get these items from agriculture. So uh, I, that the country has, is supposed to embark on agriculture, 
the country is supposed to give at least whatever it has to make sure that it supports agriculture. And the first thing that the government should do is to improve on the security, especially in the rural areas, so that our local community embarks on agriculture, especially in the rural areas. And that is what we are known for. We are a nomad community, and this is what we live for. So I, 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 I hope if the government improves on security and people embark on agriculture, there'll be no more dependency on uh, WAP items. ADEC says the government has not been transparent about the money it receives. This time, he says, the national government should deliver basic services with the WAP grant money so that it regains the trust of the international community. So I expect the government to utilize this money and to be very accountable and transparent to, to, to the citizens so that the citizens enjoy uh, the fruits of what they have just had of 3.7 billion. So I expect the government to put them in infrastructure, construction of roads, uh, bringing of water to schools, putting of electricity, and, and an improvement of security, I mean in security. Musa Mahadi, the Well Put Programs Communication Officer in South Sudan, says he has not been informed about the $3.7 billion grant, but expects to know more next week once his colleagues return to work after the holidays. The United Nations says 8 million people may be severely food insecure at the peak of the lean seasons between April and July next year, and women and girls are likely to continue to be at risk of being attacked while carrying out their daily routines, such as patching firewood. UN OCHA says South Sudan continues to be the most violent country for aid workers. Since the beginning of 2022, Nine humanitarian workers have been killed in the line of duty in South Sudan. Most of them were nationals. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor. A top official of Nigeria's anti-drug bandit says the U.S. government has announced a project that will strengthen its forensic and chemical analysis capacity. The official said in a statement in Abuja yesterday, that the U.S. support will assist the National Drug Law Enforcement Agency in its intelligence gathering and prosecution capabilities. The official says the U.S. support came from the Department of State's Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs. Femi Babafemi is the Director of Media and Advocacy of National Drug Law Enforcement Agency. Obafemi spoke to reporter Mike Mbonyi about the U.S. support to Nigeria's National Drug Law Enforcement Agency. He said the U.S. project grant followed request by the chief executive officer of Nigeria's anti-drug body, Brigadier General Buba Marwa. Well, definitely um, there was um, a communication from um, the U.S. Um, IML, that is Bureau of International um, Enforcement um, of the yeah of the of the justice of the Department of State um, in the U.S. Um, informing the agency of a grant that would help um, the agency strengthen its um, forensic uh, investigation analysis as well as um, other vital needs in the area of uh, prosecution as well as uh, intelligence gathering. All of these um, were born out of. Um, series of meetings uh, with um, the U.S. Um, officials 
in Nigeria as well as um, in the State uh, Department in Washington, VC, um, some months ago. And um, we're glad that we're having this because um, all of the um, support would indeed help the agency in strengthening uh, vital areas of um yeah, the, 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 all of this uh, will help in strengthening uh, the agency in vital areas of its operations, talking of intelligence gathering, talking of um, forensic and chemical um, monitoring and analysis, as well as uh, prosecution of um, cases in the courts. And uh, beyond that, again, we're glad that... Um, this, uh, this grant uh, awarded by the U.S. government uh, is also going to be uh, implemented uh, by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, UNODC, in Nigeria, so as to ensure that uh, things are done promptly and appropriately. So we're glad that we're getting this much-needed support from the U.S. government and um, Again, if I may add, that uh, this is coming um, on the heels of a similar support from a private uh, organization in Nigeria here, talking of ASR Africa, with uh, which uh, recently also granted the agency um, 500 million naira worth of grant to um, prosecute some selected projects uh, relevant to the operations of the agency as well. The NDLA, that is the National Drug Law Enforcement Agency, has in recent times stepped up operations aimed at mapping a drug suspect seizure of drugs. Do you think this U.S. initiative will enhance your operation and motivate staff to assist Nigeria curb the increasing uh, cases of drugs in the country? Absolutely, absolutely. We believe that um, these supports coming from the U.S. government as well as uh, um, other organizations, other bodies across the world will in no little way help the agency to intensify um, its activities or its um, offensive action against the drug cartels operating within or around the country. And um, come to think of it, um, if you look at uh, the statistics of the operation of the agency in the last um, 24 months, we've had uh, more than 23,907 arrests with um, um, quite a number of that. That is uh, 3,434 offenders convicted and serving various day terms. Um, so, with again, in addition to this, the huge seizure of uh, 5,500 tons of illicit uh, drugs still across the country. So we believe that this, uh, with this kind of uh, strong foundation we have uh, in the last two years, the kind of support we are getting now will further boost the morale of the officers and men of the agency and will further strengthen the agency to do more in the next, I mean, in the months um, and years ahead. That was Femi Babafemi, the Director of Media and Advocacy of National Drug Law Enforcement Agency. He spoke with reporter Mike Mboni on the telephone from Abuja, Nigeria. An aid group says at least a dozen people have been killed in clashes over the past few days in the Sudanese province of South Darfur. The General Coordination for Refugees and Displaced in Darfur says at least 42 people were also wounded in the fighting between herdsmen and farmers in the Balea area.
The Associated Press says the conflict began last week when herdsmen tried to loot a motorized rickshaw called the Tuk-Tuk in the village of Amori, killing one person. Fighting escalated in attacks between the local population and the herdsmen. The aid group says many villages in the area were burned down or looted. It says hundreds of families were displaced and took shelter in Inyala, the provincial capital of South Darfur. Authorities have declared a state of emergency and imposed a nighttime curfew in Belair to help stop the clashes. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, a civil society group says the 30-day period for the registration of prospective voters ahead of next December's general election is not enough to enroll all eligible voters. The Electoral Commission has divided the DRC into parts, with each province given 30 days to register. But the non-profit civil society group Fight for Change says residents in Goma are displeased with the period saying it's not enough. The group has launched an education campaign to help get prospective voters ready for the registration process. The Electoral Commission called Senis compiling a voter list for the vote. Incumbent President Felix Shikedi is seeking re-election. He's expected to be challenged by main op- opposition leader Martin Fayulu and Moise Katumbi, the former governor of Katanga province. For more about the voter registration and the work being done to prepare prospective voters in Goma, VOS Peter Klote reached ESPA Ngaluchie. He's an activist and community organizer for the civil society group Fight for Change. The registration of voters started in the western part of DRC because the Electoral Commission divided DRC in three parts. The first one is the the first area is in in western parts. There is Kinshasa provinces like Congo Central, Equator, um, Quilu, Kwango, other provinces. I live in eastern parts in, in, in Goma. In Goma we will start in in February because according to the, the planification of the Electoral Commission, every area will have only thirty days. And for us, it's not enough. So the resident saying the time is not enough, the 30 days time limit is not enough. Will they be prepared to go and register in order for them to vote? Yeah, the people are, are prepared, but the communication of, of the mobilization of the community by the Electoral Commission is not higher. Even politicians, they are focused on their contestation, like the opposition. They are saying that the Electoral Commission is is not independent and in the power, the, polit- the, the political party that is running country, the Congo for now, they are focused on the how they'll be elected. No one among them are focused on the mobilization of the of civilians of, of people to go to be registered. Just some civil society organizations, but it's not enough because in the budget of the Electoral Commission, they have money to mobilize people. But eh, they are not, their credibility in the community is not higher the Electoral Commission is focused on how they will be like, you know, how the, the community, how people will have confidence on the Electoral Commission. 
instead of, you know, uh, the Electoral Commission is focused on how their credibility will be well through to the population instead of being focused on how they will be mobilizing citizens to go and to be registered. But publicly, and, you know, the majority of Congolese, they are not intellectual. And it means that the, the manner to inform them is not only in French, it's not only on social media, it's not only on, you know, on, on media that are, are accessible only to those people who are living in the main city, who are, who are intellectual. Those who are in rural area, they are not, for now, they are not in the, in the main targets of the mobilization of the, by the Electoral Commission. But the majority, uh, the, some people know that they have only few days to be registered. What do you think the Electoral Commission can do or CNE can do at this moment uh, to engage more people, organize people to come to register and have its credibility restored? It's not only the responsibility of the Electoral Commission. They have, what they, the Electoral Commission have to do right now is to, is, is to, is to update their manner of communication, of sensibilization of, the, of citizens. They have to be focused on calling people to come and to be registered. And political parties, opposition, and parties that are running Congo for now, they all of them they have to to call people to be to be registered even the civil society this is what we are doing because our you know we are like voice or voiceless people we, we are speaking loudly what people are, are speaking and what people are thinking and the electoral commission have to put together his strength and strength of political party of opposition and those who are in the majority and to call people to be registered because they are counting down and the last days the people will be very 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 um, unsatisfied and the same the electoral commission will be obliged to add other days and for us as lucha for us 30 days is not enough they have to do or at least two months to, to, to give people, all people, or the majority of Congolese, the opportunity to be registered. Espangaluchie, an activist and community organizer for the Civil Society Group Fight for Change, he spoke with my colleague Peter Klote. As we approach the end of the year 2022, VOA wants to give you, our loyal listeners, the opportunity to wish your loved ones a happy new year. Call us on our WhatsApp number 202-258-3076. Leave a message and listen for it right here on VOA. The number again, 202-258-3076. Let VOA help you bring cheer and blessings to friends and family by just calling 202-258-3076.
Critics of the Zambia's law against insulting the president have welcomed the government's repeal of the controversial measure as a step forward for democracy. Rights groups say the colonial era law has been used to silence government critics. President Hakainde Hishlema announced the repeal over the weekend along with the abolition of the death penalty. Cuts a short reports from Lusaka. Daniel Sinjuala Libati, a human rights lawyer, told VOA that he is happy with the repeal of the defamation law announced late Friday by President Hichilema. Very good. Very good. It allows uh, people to freely criticize, not insult, freely criticize the presidency and provide checks and balances and constructive uh, criticism in line with the right to freedom of expression under our Bill of Rights. Political analyst Guess Nurenda says while he's happy with the enactment of the law, a lot still needs to be done to promote freedom of expression in Zambia. Would like to urge President Hakainde Hichlema to set the tone and continue doing good, especially in attending to the draconian undercake clause. Opposition National Democratic Party leader Saboi Imboela has been arrested multiple times under the defamation law. She told VOA that while she welcomes the repeal of the colonial era law, she urges Zambians to exercise caution. She notes that the existence of cyber security laws is a concern as they will restrict freedom of expression. I see a situation whereby they're going to use any laws whatsoever to ensure that they get to their political opponents. So the people in Zambia should not even feel comfortable. They should be careful now, actually more than ever before, about what they say on Facebook, because the president and his people are going to use the cyber laws to come after you for whatever it is that you're going to say. In a statement late Friday, Hichilema also announced the repeal of the death penalty. Zambia's last execution took place in 1997, but some 250 people were still on death row as of 2021, including nine people newly sentenced. Mwelwa Mulea is the spokesperson for the Zambia Human Rights Commission, which oversees human rights issues in the country. He told VOA the repeal of the laws will improve Zambia's human rights record following increased arrest of political opponents. The signing of that bill into law is a landmark development towards enhancing the fundamental right to life and also the right to freedom of expression and must be commended by everyone. Earlier in 2022, Amnesty International Secretary General Agnes Kalamad met with Hichilema in Zambia, urging his government to repeal the defamation law, which had been used to silence critics since its enactment in 1965. During his election campaign last year, Hichilema promised to uphold human rights and freedom of expression. In the past year alone, at least 12 critics and opponents of Hichilema were arrested for insulting the president some multiple times. Kathy Short for VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia. East Africa's biggest economy is betting on electric-powered motorcycles, its renewable-led power supply, and position as a technology and startup hub to lead the region's shift to zero-emission electricity mobility. Julian Satathwat of Reuters reports. Motorbikes are an engine of commerce in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. But they're a big source of air pollution too. Now a new breed of startups hopes to make electric bikes the answer. 
they have been too expensive for most Kenyans due to costly batteries. But young firms like Arkride hope battery swapping could be the answer. Joe Hurst Croft is chief executive. So Arkride, we call ourselves a battery as a service business. We're putting the infrastructure in to enable mass adoption of electric mobility. The firm has developed its own small battery that can be quickly swapped for a new one when it runs out of juice. Rival EcoBodar has similar ideas. It hopes to have 1,000 e-bikes on the road by the end of 2023. Such firms retain ownership of the batteries, just leaving riders to buy the bike. This user says renting the batteries works out much cheaper than using conventional fuel. It should be good news for air quality too, since much of Kenya's electricity comes from renewable sources. The country's power utility estimates it can generate enough to charge about 2 million electric motorcycles every day. That was Reuters reporter Julian Sathatwath. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. I'm Douglas Simpson.